I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It was a dark and stormy night when park ranger John received a call from a distressed camp. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Sarah. She had been camping deep in the woods of a remote national park and had come across a strange creature she could only describe as a Sasquatch. John, skeptical but concerned, set out to investigate. As he made his way through the dense forest, the wind howled and the rain pounded against his hood. He couldn't shake the feeling that he was being watched. But as he approached Sarah's campsite, he found no sign of the creature. Sarah, however, was in a state of panic. She insisted that the Sasquatch had been stalking her all night and that it had tried to attack her. John tried to calm Sarah down, but she was too afraid to stay in the woods. He decided to escort her out of the park. As they walked, John couldn't shake the feeling that they were being followed. Suddenly, Sarah stopped in her tracks. She pointed to a dark figure emerging from the shadows. It was a Sasquatch. John, being a park ranger, knew that these creatures are not supposed to exist and thought it might be some kind of elaborate hoax. But as the creature stepped into the light, John could see that it was real and it was huge. 
The Sasquatch let out a deafening roar and charged at them. John quickly grabbed Sarah and they ran for their lives. They reached the ranger station and reported the incident to the government officials in charge of the park, but they were met with skepticism and disbelief. The government officials thought it was a hoax, a publicity stunt to attract more visitors to the park. But as the days passed, more and more reports of Sasquatch sightings came in. The park was closed and a team of scientists was sent in to investigate. They discovered that the Sasquatch was not a wild animal, but a genetically engineered creature created by a mad scientist who had been experimenting with DNA manipulation in the deep woods. John tried to warn the government officials of the danger this creature posed, but they refused to listen. They were more interested in covering up the truth and protecting their own interests. As the days passed, the Sasquatch grew more aggressive and began attacking campers and hikers. Despite John's warnings, the government officials refused to take action. It was only when the creature killed several people that they finally agreed to take action. But it was too late. The Sasquatch had grown too powerful and was impossible to capture or kill. It roamed the park, terrorizing the visitors and locals alike. John, feeling guilty for not being able to stop the creature, decided to take matters into his own hands. He set out into the deep woods, determined to put an end to the terror once and for all. But the Sasquatch was too much for him to handle. In a tragic and gruesome end, the creature killed John, and his body was found by Sarah, who was camping again. The government officials, guilty of their actions, closed the park forever and tried to cover up the truth. But the legend of the creature and ranger John, who tried to save people from it, lived on. And it became a horror story that passed through generations. The tragic end of this story still haunts the deep woods of the National Park, and it's said that on stormy nights, the screams of John and Sarah can still be heard. I was a young police officer just starting out in my career. I was eager to make a difference and prove myself to my colleagues and superiors. One day, while I was on duty at the police station, I came across a strange note on my desk. It was folded up and had my name written on the front in sloppy handwriting. I opened it up and found a mysterious address written inside. It was in a part of town that I wasn't familiar with, but something about the note made me feel like I needed to go check it out. I had a strange sense of unease wash over me as I read the note, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I needed to follow through with this. I grabbed my keys and headed out to my patrol car. As I was driving, the unease only grew stronger. I tried to shake it off and focus on the task at hand, but I couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. When I finally arrived at the address, I saw that it was an abandoned house. It was a creepy old place that looked like it hadn't been inhabited in years. I hesitated for a moment, but then I got out of my car and approached the house. I knocked on the door, but no one answered. I knew that I shouldn't go inside, but something was pulling me towards the house. I couldn't explain it, but I felt like I needed to see what was inside. So, I made the decision to break in. As I stepped inside, I was immediately hit with a feeling of dread. The place was dark and musty, and it seemed to have an energy that was all its own. I shone my flashlight around, but I couldn't see much. The room was empty, and there was a thick layer of dust on everything. 
I made my way through the house, searching for any clues or signs of what might have happened here. As I was exploring, I suddenly heard a noise behind me. I turned around, but there was nothing there. I continued on, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. I heard more noises and saw shadows moving in the corners of my eyes, but whenever I turned to look, there was nothing there. I was starting to feel like I was being played with, like something was toying with me. I knew I needed to get out of there, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being drawn deeper into the house. As I turned a corner, I came face to face with a creature that I had never seen before. It was like a vampire, but different. It had long, sharp teeth and pale, clammy skin. Its eyes glowed red in the darkness. I froze, unable to move, as the creature hissed and lunged at me. It was fast, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to outrun it. I tried to fight back, but it was too strong. It knocked me to the ground and fled, leaving me lying there in the dust. I don't know how long I lay there, but eventually I was able to pull myself together and make my way out of the house. I stumbled back to my car and drove back to the police station, trying to make sense of what had just happened. I never went back to that abandoned house, and I never spoke to anyone about what I had seen. It was like a nightmare that I couldn't shake, and I couldn't bring myself to talk about it. But I knew that I would never forget that strange, terrifying creature. We went camping last month, and in the middle of the night, some panicked guy started banging super hard on someone's camper, screaming maniacally, Danny, let me in. Danny, please hurry. Danny, I'm scared. Let me in. Open the door. Why are you doing this to me? Please, I'm scared. Hurry, please. Why are you doing this to me? It was a grown man, and it was like 3 a.m., and this went on for almost two hours. We tried calling all the after-hours park numbers for help, and no one answered. He sounded like he was either on drugs and having a bad trip, or like there was something else wrong with him. He was so distressed that it was genuinely disturbing, but we had our two small kids with us, who slept through it all, thankfully, and didn't feel safe approaching to see if we could help, because this man did not sound like he was in his right mind. And also, there was no way the person inside didn't hear him. So maybe they had a good reason not to let him in. Maybe they locked him out to keep themselves safe. We didn't know, but he sounded terrified, too. He eventually stopped, but then their car alarm started going off, sometimes for half-hour-long stretches for the rest of the morning. We got no sleep that night. It was definitely the strangest night camping that we've ever endured. The next day, no one had any information about what happened. During a winter camping trip in Algonquin Park, we heard two distinct and unusual noises. We heard the first noise in the evening while skiing into the park, trying to find a place to set up camp in the dark. The noise is somewhat hard to describe and sounded completely unnatural. It sounded like an electronically produced reverberation of some kind. At the time, we guessed it was some kind of weird animal call. We speculated perhaps a moose or water-moving pockets of air trapped under frozen lake ice or aliens. We later discovered that this noise was actually produced by a natural phenomenon called acoustic dispersion. Google it and listen to videos. 
The second noise occurred on that same night after we had bed down in tent for the night. This noise was clearly an animal or several animals, and it sounded much like laughing, yelping, or high-pitched barking. The unnerving thing about the noise was how it appeared to move through the forest, closer to the tent, right next to the tent, and eventually past the tent, and then finally far away from the tent. Whatever was producing those noises had moved through our campsite at a fairly rapid pace, but without making any discernible rustling, crunching of snow or footfalls, only the haunting vocalizations of whatever the animal was. I later heard similar noises outside of my condo window back home in a more urban setting, asked neighbors about it, and was told that the noises are made by coyotes that hunt in the wooded areas along the hydro and rail corridor. My father and I had just left the La Burbuja grocery store and were crossing 32nd to go toward my car when we heard what sounded like a baby crying out. We thought it was maybe one of the neighbor's babies, but then my father said Mariah Maja and was pointing toward the house across the street. I looked and saw a thin black figure perched on the brick fence post and looking directly at us. This thing was dark, dark black. It actually looked like it was absorbing the light around it. It was very easy to make out the body, the wings, and the long pointed tail that it swished around, much like a cat does when it is interested in something. The eyes were the most striking feature as they were glowing bright red and were locked directly on my father and me. I was frozen in fear, and the only thing going through my mind was how to defend my elderly father if this thing decided to attack us. I could care less about myself, but my father is seventy years old and not able to move or defend himself if he was attacked. I could hear my father praying and asking La Virgin de Guadalupe for protection and to send this thing away. I managed to tell my father that we needed to get into the car as quickly as possible so he could be safe. I pressed the button to the remote and the horn chirped as the alarm was deactivated and the doors unlocked. At the sound of the horn chirping, this thing opened its wings and stood up on the fence post and chirped back at us. It took off and hovered for a few seconds, its wings flapping and making a light whoosh sound. My father and I dove into the relative safety of the car as this thing flew away and was gone from our sight. This thing was maybe three, four feet tall and thin, but its wings were large and maybe ten feet when spread apart. They looked a lot like bat wings. No feathers were visible as it was jet black. We drove straight home and my father told my mother and my sister about our encounter with this thing and what had happened. My mother said it was probably a brugia disguised as a lechuza and that we were lucky we were not attacked either way. She refused to let anyone out of the house for the rest of the night. My friend and I used to go cycling in the woods every weekend in summer when we were younger, around the ages of 10, 13. The woodland, near where I live, suburbs of London, is ancient and has a lot of history, especially with old ruinous manors from the medieval times dotted around. We have so many happy memories from that period, but one really peculiar and scary evening stands out. One evening we went deep into the woods and checked out this old abandoned farm where there were these huge pine trees in the center of the field. 
We had to hop a couple fences to reach these trees, and there was always something majestic about these isolated trees in a field. Anyways, when we left the field, it must have been around six, seven o'clock, as it was still crystal blue sky. In England, it doesn't get dark until about nine, ten in summer. I remember we both had this unbelievable sense of dread and panic that come over us, so we cycled off as fast as we could towards the exit, which was a tunnel into the back road. This was only a five-minute cycle from the field with the isolated pines trees. However, my friend disappeared, and it felt like within a matter of minutes it was pitch black. I remember waiting at the entrance of the tunnel for my friend as I was too scared to go through it alone, and it felt like I was waiting for hours. He turned up eventually, and he had no explanation as to where he had gone. Essentially, it felt as though two, three hours had been compressed into five minutes and daylight turned to dusk with a flick of a switch. To this day, I have no explanation as to what the sensation we felt was and how time seemed to warp. Those woods have always had an eerie and mystical feel about them. That sound brought one of my brothers into the house to alert the rest of the family to come hear this. We went outside and stood in the driveway and heard the most frightening guttural roar you can imagine. This accompanied the pounding on the wood object. This lasted several minutes. The evening was clear, warm, and without wind. I do not remember a moon. Neither brother could explain what was happening, and I recall being scared out of my wits. When the sound subsided, the family returned inside. The incident was not discussed in front of me again. As a child, I was privileged to live in this remote, beautiful area and be allowed to run free. Sometime later, a boyfriend and I observed what we were told must have been a bear in a thicket of alder trees near the house. The feces found there later contained crawdad shells and berry seeds with a horrible odor. But the creature we saw was not a bear. The hard, dry ground showed no tracks. Our fathers were loggers, and we were well-versed in the local wildlife. While this all happened a very long time ago, I still get cold chills remembering those sounds. Years later, my fiancé and I were driving north on Oregon Highway 101 near Cape Perpetua, north of Florence, Oregon. The highway was narrow two lane with the Pacific Ocean on the west and steep rock cliffs on the east. I was watching the moon over the ocean, turned sideways facing the ocean. A very large black creature rose from a cleft in the cliff and towered over the little car we were in. My fiancé yelled, What the hell was that? I only caught a glimpse of the thing through my peripheral vision, but it was huge and very fast. I suppose we surprised it as much as it surprised us. It terrified me. My fiancé searched for a place to turn around as he wanted to go back, and I refused to let him. We were armed with what suddenly seemed to be a very small weapon, considering the size of the creature. When we returned home, my fiancé told his father about the encounter. His father told us of the rancher at the foot of the capes, also on Highway 101, who had been riding to check on his cattle when he heard a cow bellowing in agony. His horse became nervous, but he forced it on and found a very large, hairy animal chewing on the live cow. He carried a thirty-point-six rifle and shot the creature. It stood up and ran off on two legs. He followed until he lost the trail of blood in the rocky terrain. 
This is the first time I have ever heard of someone shooting and wounding one of these creatures. It is also the first time I've heard of this creature eating the meat of any animal. Our encounter was in the late evening with clear skies and a full moon. My fiancé saw the creature in the headlights and had a great view of it. He knew it was not a bear and didn't think it was a human in a pursuit. Facial features did not have a snout and the arms were too long for a bear's front legs. I was too terrified to grasp any features. I have never felt fear like that before or, or since. I went camping on Lake Michigan's shore one time. I was solo and it was rustic. I was on a small ridge close to the beach but couldn't actually see the shore. My small fire was dying and I was about to turn in when I started hearing this strange wet quack sound on the beach. Happened two or three times in succession. Sounded like a watermelon being hit with a baseball bat. Then all of a sudden a light appeared over the ridge. Looked like it was scanning the tree line. After a second, the light goes back down and I hear a couple more whacks. Silence, then a few more whacks. Twenty, thirty feet down the beach. Then the light is back. Then three more lights pop up and start moving up and down the beach. Then they left. There were definitely points in time where I was sitting there, knife in hand, waiting for this band of rogues to come murder me. I researched when I got home, and I think they were just digging for clams or mussels or something. But for 15, 20 minutes, it was real, real creepy. Crown Land, camping in Ontario in early January. It was an isolated spot beside a fairly large lake, which was completely frozen over. Temperature hovered around 8 Celsius the whole trip, but went above freezing for a day. After the sun set, the frozen lake began making an eerie noise every few minutes like a low-flying jet, followed by a massive, slow bloop coming from the depths of the lake. Occasionally, a crack would shoot across the sheet of ice covering the lake shore to shore, about half a kilometer in less than a second. Buddies were freaking out at first, speculating we had awoken a lake monster or something, probably smoked too many joints that night. Obviously, these were the natural sounds of the lake as it melted, possibly something to do with the fluid dynamics as it changed state from solid ice to liquid water. Just a theory, but nevertheless, we were in awe of the forces of nature at work. All the more terrifying, considering the day before we had been screwing around on the frozen lake, unaware that the entire ice sheet was melting away underneath us. Falling through the ice would put an end to the fun quickly. I decided to rent a cabin way up in northern Michigan for a week with my sister Tanya. My sister is a writer, and this was also what she needed because she hadn't written in two weeks. So off we went. It was late May and still quite chilly, but we didn't care about the weather because we weren't there for sunbathing on the beach. The cottage was rustic but recently redone, and it was located on a small pond, but was surrounded by thick woods. Our cottage was the last one down a long dirt road. The cottage owner had put in several really nice long trails, because if not then, nobody was enjoying the woods. The first day, we were unloading our luggage from the car, and a young guy and his mom walked up the driveway. They introduced themselves and said they owned the house a little way down the road, and they went for walks a few times a week for exercise past the cottage. 
The mother Linda mentioned that her husband had passed away a few years earlier, and of course I told her that I lost my husband Josh a few months earlier as well. Linda looked so sad for me, but her son Brendan had a smirk on his face which really creeped me out. Linda seemed to notice this as well and said, Okay, let's leave these ladies to unpack, and then said their goodbyes. I was unnerved by the way Brendan looked at me, and I noticed he kept looking back at me as they walked away. On the first day, we just hung around the cabin. The next day, I went for a walk alone so Tanya could get some writing done. I chose the path the owner said was the easiest. I had been walking for ten minutes when I heard the sound of a small animal moving through the underbrush, maybe something the size of a rabbit, so I stopped to listen, and when I stopped, the rustling stopped. I happened to glance back, and I saw the shape of a human standing behind the thicket. I thought it was Brandon, so I turned and kept walking. I was almost halfway, and I'd see a tree about thirty feet in front of me, but completely surrounded by the same thicket. I saw what again I perceived to be a naked Brandon. I couldn't see clearly because he was shrouded in darkness, but I saw him perched on the bottom limb of a tree, just crouched there, staring at me. I could see one hand holding the limb he was crouched on, and his other arm was wrapped around the tree trunk. But now that I look back and I know what I was looking at, I can't believe I thought it was Brandon. A day or two later, I was finally able to pull Tanya away from her laptop, and we were on the porch to watch the sunset. We distinctly heard a wolf howl from at least the other side of the pond. We agreed it was really close, but we weren't too worried. We were more worried about the mother bears, as we were told by Linda and the cabin owner that we needed to keep the bear spray. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. On us at all times because the cubs were very young and the mothers were really protective. About ten minutes later, we heard an animal screaming. Oh my gosh, we were both saying and covering our ears. Tanya was saying this is too close to nature for me. Then Tanya went in to use the bathroom, and when she came back, she said, What is that? and pointed to the wood line. I saw the shrubs shaking, then an animal came out of the woods with a baby deer hanging from its mouth. The baby wasn't just a newborn. We looked at pictures showing various ages, and it was probably two weeks old, approximately. We are not country girls, so please don't get on me for being wrong. Anyway, Tanya said, no, I don't want to see this, and she went inside. I sat looking at this animal. I was fairly certain the fawn was already dead, or I would have done something, at least I'd like to think I would have. What? 
I don't know, but regardless, I was trying to figure out what this animal was. It was walking into the open from the woods. It dropped the fawn from its mouth, then it started sniffing it. I was fairly certain that this was a very large wolf with a case of the mange because its hair was thick around the neck like a lion's mane, and it was thin to barren spots. Its rear end was bald, and I didn't even see a tail. I noticed it looked almost deformed because the back end sat way lower than the front. The animal seemed almost mesmerized by the fawn. It stared and sniffed at it. Then it pushed it forward or over by using its nose. Then it picked it up by the mouth and started shaking it side to side viciously. Then it started biting into the midsection. And when it lifted its head to chew, you could clearly see intestines hanging out of its mouth. Now I believe I let out a sound at that point because it looked at me surprised and then ran about ten feet to the large tree. It turned around and literally stood on its back legs. Oh my gosh! I realized this was the thing I saw up in the tree. I could clearly see the eyes were rusty colored and they were illuminated. They were glowing from the inside. It was starting to turn dusk. It just continued to stand there behind that tree. It seemed to be apprehensive a little, but it was staring at me, and then it would look towards the phone. At one point, I thought I saw it lift its lip, and the whole muzzle started to vibrate like it was trying not to bare its teeth. Finally, it got down on all four feet and started walking slowly to the phone. When it was almost there, it swung its head in my direction and let out a low, menacing growl. At the same time, it bared its teeth. This animal was at least 400 pounds. It could be even bigger, but I'm afraid that the naysayers will call me a liar. This animal was at least three to four times as big as my German Shepherd. All the way around its head was huge. But what really terrified me was when it sneered at me and went down for the fawn. Its teeth were at least three inches long, sharp and jagged. When it got to the fawn, it picked it up in its mouth and took off at a fast slope. We didn't leave for walks after that. We barely left the cabin. When we did leave the last day, we drove over to that tree, and I got out and stood beside where it stood. And I can say without a doubt it was well over six and a half to seven and a half feet tall. We drove past Linda's house, and on second thought, I asked Tanya to turn back around. I wanted to tell them what we saw. Linda was genuinely concerned and seemed shocked to hear what we saw. She appreciated that we thought enough to stop. When we got home, we called the landlord, and he said straight away that we were warned to carry bear spray, so I just left it at that. I figured he thought we wanted our money back, and that wasn't the case. So that's our story. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a Bigfoot. Taking a day hike with a friend on the Appalachian Trail in New Jersey many years ago. It was a nice day, and we were hiking and making idle chat. All of a sudden, from the low brush along the side of the trail, right next to our feet, came this ear-piercing, high-pitched and long screaming sound. I can only describe it like a woman screaming after in helium. We froze in our tracks, and it screamed for about five seconds, although it felt like longer. Whatever it was started running off through the brush and bushes. Neither of us even caught a glimpse of it. It felt like a sci-fi or horror, 
moving where we could see the grass and branches rustling while it ran off, but neither of us saw a single part of it or even get an idea of the shape and size. But the brush was only thigh high, so it couldn't have been too big. After being frozen in place from surprise and fear for about thirty seconds, we decided to keep walking and talk about it after we gained some distance. But we had very little to discuss other than a repeated, What the hell was that? Growing up with stories about the New Jersey Devil didn't help our imaginations. But you never know. This incident occurred in Memphis, Tennessee. I started my career as a Memphis police officer a few years previously in the 1980s. I was on a special assignment at the time. It was 2 a.m., and it was a clear summer night, but quite humid. I was in my personal vehicle with the top down and the radio playing. I was still in my uniform, including my bulletproof vest and a gun belt with all the regular equipment attached to it. I was heading south on Covington Pike at a good rate of speed and was the only one on the road. This part of the road connects the Raleigh-Bartlett area to the Burr-Claire area. The road is slightly elevated as the surrounding area is low and running through it is the Wolf River, which is a few miles from here and connects to the Mississippi River. This area is commonly referred to by the locals as the Wolf River Bottoms these days. As I was driving in my peripheral vision, over to my right, just outside my headlight beams, I noticed something was moving fast, directly toward the front of my car. I immediately slammed on the brakes, thinking that a deer was running across the road. But I couldn't have been more wrong. It came to a screeching halt right in the middle of the road, right in front of my headlights, not more than seven feet from my bumper, as we both froze in place, staring at each other for several seconds. It appeared to be three to four feet tall, but was also crouched. It could have been closer to five if it stood straight up, but I got the impression that its current body posture was its normal way of standing. It had a large head, at least compared to its skinny, slender body. It appeared to be dark gray and greenish in color, similar to the color of an alligator, but the appearance of its skin looked like a similar texture to a human's. It had dark, large oval eyes on each side of the upper part of its face, running slanted from the top portion of its head to about the midsection of its head. It was kind of pointing inward to where you would expect a nose to be. However, from what I could tell, there was no distinct nose, at least none like a human. Below the eyes was a very thin, dark, almost black line, which I assumed was its mouth. It ran from about the same location a human's mouth would be. However, the line ran straight across the lower face in front, and then turned upward and slightly back on the head. It had no ears that could see. Its body and chest area were rounded like a human, but vastly smaller, almost like a child's. Its arms appeared to be longer and somewhat disproportionate to its body, and they were skinny and had an insect-type look to them. I could make out hands, but they were also completely folded at the wrist joint. The legs were long because, even with this thing's shortness, I could make out the top of them, even with it so close to the bumper, which was obscuring the bottom half somewhat. They were like the arms, thin and insect-like, but appeared to be jointed. I did notice its chest area moving slightly like it was breathing, but it seemed slow and steady.
I never noticed anything like genitalia. There was no hair any place that I could see in. I'm not even sure if it was wearing any type of clothing. If it was, it would have had to be skin tight. I never noticed a tail at any point. My adrenaline was pumping, and it was only a brief period of observation. It again took off like a shot, and it was out of my headlights. I could still make out its outline in the darkness, and it was moving like a sprinter. It leaped over the guardrail onto the other side of the road and down the embankment. I will admit that this was not the only bizarre incident that I had during my career, but it definitely was the strangest. I never told anyone on the force about the encounter. In fact, I only mentioned it to a close friend during these many years. I can only identify it as a lizard man or an unknown humanoid. I would have never believed it unless I actually witnessed it. When I was 11 or 12, I was at a Boy Scout camp in the Midwestern USA talking with some friends in the tent at night. For some reason, I poked my head out through the flap to look outside, and I saw a scene that was totally bizarre. I was deep in a forest, but I saw red lights moving all around as though there were some kind of carnival in front of me. Some of the lights were moving in circles or back and forth. One thing looked like an arrow with stripes that was motionless at first, and then launched and bounced back and forth slightly, as though it were attached to a stiff spring. I was mesmerized by it, but I had no idea what on earth I was looking at. I didn't see any people or anything unusual other than the red lights, and I didn't hear anything out of the ordinary. Otherwise, it was just darkness and trees. I pulled my head back into the tent and told my friends I saw something weird. One of them poked his head out and said he saw it too, but he couldn't describe it, and I think he just thought I was playing a joke and wanted to join in. I looked out again myself, and I saw someone's flashlight moving in the distance as they walked, but that wasn't anything out of the ordinary. To this day, I have no idea what that was about. My depth perception of the lights felt strange, as though I was seeing two images at the same time, the actual dark forest in front of me, with a moving image of the lights superimposed over it. I was skeptical of aliens and UFOs, but it definitely had me thinking about them. I told everyone about it the next day in detail, and nobody else had seen anything similar. It was just a weird thing that nobody could explain. This happened in fall of 2020, one in Hammiston Turi Wilderness area in Finland. I had already been in the bush for 15 weeks and still had about a week left. No people in sight except a friend who I parted ways with after a couple of days and a reindeer herder so far away. I don't think he even spotted me. I was making my way towards this old dilapidated wilderness hut, which was not in use anymore, and suddenly I hear talking. I stop and try to listen. Where is the sound coming from? It sounds like multiple guys. After a while, I can pinpoint the direction and start walking there to say hi. I stumble in the middle of four guys in their mid-twenties, high as balls, eyes red, cockmouth, and one dude is playing some shitty Reggie from a Bluetooth speaker. Now at this point, the nearest road is approximately 30 kilometers away. We start chatting, and I spot that these guys' gear is a bit makeshift-esque. Not judging, but these guys don't give out the vibe of a hardened hiker who makes their own gear. 
After a bit of chatting, I learned that. These guys don't have a map. They don't have a compass. They have a shit ton of weed. They have consumed a lot of it. Now I try my best to give these guys some directions, but they are high F. Looking at my map, I spot a stream which goes towards the road. Their car is at. So I guide them to follow this stream, and when they arrive to the road, turn right, and after one kilometer, they will arrive to their car. I had to handwrite these instructions four times on a piece of toilet paper in hopes that one always has those instructions. We parted ways. They gladly offered some weed, which I declined, did get a small bottle of whiskey, though. After my hike, I had to Google missing hikers in Hemostuntry, but didn't find anything, so I think they got it out all. This happened in 2016, so I was around 20, 122. Friend was driving me home from her house. The road we normally took, back road but very busy with traffic, was closed for construction, so we took the detour road. We have the windows down because we had finished a blunt about 15 minutes prior. This was a 30 minutes ride back to my house. Halfway through the detour road, we both get this sense of absolute evil dread, and we then both notice that there is no sound. No nature sounds, frogs croaking, breeze through the trees, wind from the car. The radio was on and not playing music, no matter how we fwith the channel or the volume. It was like we were in an air pocket with absolutely no sound whatsoever. You could barely see outside, but we at least could make out trees and shit with the headlights. Nope. Looked like we were in a completely dark tunnel. Lasted about five minutes, and then all of a sudden, the noise came back on with this sudden pop. Frogs, trees, the sound of the car, the radio, all of it. We kind of just sat still and said nothing, and as soon as we saw a gas station, she pulled over and we smoked a cigarette, and we were both kind of like, ha, ah, what just happened? <laughs> Everything was 100% normal after that, and it never happened again. I've been on that road hundreds of times since, but it was genuinely strange, and it scared the shit out of both of us. I'm located in the 559. There are a lot of Mary Jane growers out here. There was an illegal farm out in the country country of Clovis. It was ran by Asians. To conceal the grow-off, the family had chickens and cows and other animals, so it actually looked like a normal ranch. On the ranch, there were trimmers, probably about 15, 20 of them. One day, the family woke up and found half of their chickens dead. They couldn't figure out what caused for them to die. About a week later, the rest of them died. The crazy thing was that there weren't any lacerations or anything. It was as if they just dropped dead. Because of that, the family decided to install cameras out in the backyard. About two months after the first incident with the chickens, it happened again to their new flock. They watched the cameras and saw an orb zip through them, and they literally dropped dead. This was in August of 2012. It was about 2 a.m., and a tremor had her head flipped 360. Literally, her neck was twisted in a full circle. Everyone freaked out and scurried off. Everyone ended up finding out that she was from Laos and was here for trim season. It's obviously been years now, and no one, the Laotian community, has seen her or heard of her since. 
She was last seen in a Thay restaurant in a restroom sucking on tampons. I'm not making this stuff up. It was all captured on video. The property had to be blessed by monks. And the land is no longer a grow operation either. For those of you that don't believe in black magic, well, that stuff is real. It's legit. Overseas, Thailand or Laos, someone must have put a spell on her and sacrificed her for who knows what reason. It's a super common thing there. You don't believe in that stuff until you witness or experience it firsthand. In our culture, she's known as Phi Pob. She looks human during the day, but feeds on blood and human souls. If you're legit interested in this scary stuff, look up Asian black magic and what can happen from it. I used to work on the north slope of Alaska in the oil industry. The work we were doing required us to travel far out into the Alaska Petroleum Reserve, which is basically just untamed tundra wilderness for hundreds of miles. The oil companies would build these long ice roads in the winter that would lead to exploration drilling pads. Our job was to go out after they finished the initial drilling and test rock formations for their oil-producing qualities. It was mid-January. The sun hadn't quite come up yet. And when I say the sun hadn't come up, I mean in almost a month and a half, polar nights are intense. The particular well site we were traveling to was about 60 miles west of Alpine, Alaska, deep in the wilderness. Our job took a week, but we finished and were headed back to camp to finish our hitch and go home. At the beginning and end of the ice roads are guard shacks that you have to check in and out of for safety. No cell reception and radios work only up to a distance. If you don't check in or out in a set time, they come looking for you to ensure you're not a popsicle. It was about four in the morning, not that it mattered, in the land of endless night, and we were halfway across the ice road. Travel was slow as the speed limit on the roads is only 25 miles per hour. When something appeared on the road in our headlights, it was a man in jeans, sneakers, and a hoodie jacket walking down an ice road in wilderness tundra at 4 a.m., and it was 20 degrees outside. It's not unusual for the local Inuit people to be out this far hunting. Maybe his snowmobile broke down, and he's trying to get back to the guard shack. Seemed plausible. He didn't acknowledge us as our trucks rolled up next to him. He just kept shuffling forward. He didn't seem cold. His clothing, while totally not appropriate for this extreme weather, appeared warm and dry. We also noticed he wasn't Inuit, but Caucasian. I rolled down my window and asked if he needed any help and if he was okay. He still didn't acknowledge us, just kept shuffling forward. His face was completely blank, devoid of any thought or emotions. The other guys in my truck suggested that maybe he was in an accident and in shock. I continued rolling my truck alongside him as he trudged down the road, still trying to get his attention. Even in this extreme cold, I could occasionally get whiffs of a peculiar smell coming off him. He smelled acidic, if that makes sense. There was just a lot about this guy that made the hair on my neck stand up. The guy behind me in the truck's crew cab had had enough of all this. He rolled down his window and reached out to grab the guy. He later said he was just going to try and shake him out of his stupor. Before my buddy's hand could reach him, 
though this walking popsicle spun around and latched onto my buddy's outstretched arm. He glared at my buddy and then at me, with this look of pure rage not removing his hand from his arm. If emotions had a physical temperature, this guy could have melted the entire tundra that night. My buddy groaned in pain as he tried to get his arm free from Mr. Popcycle. At that moment, this guy starts screaming in our faces. There was so much hate and rage and anger in that scream. It was absolutely terrifying. I slammed on the gas and spun out on the ice for a second before the wheels caught and launched us forward. Popsicle dude still had a hold of my buddy's arm and was trying to pull him out of the truck. He was running alongside the truck while the other guys in the cab held on to my buddy to keep him inside. After several moments, if could only have been a few seconds at most, my buddy tore free from this guy and we hauled ass to the guard shack another thirty miles down the road. We checked in with the guards and reported what we had just seen. The guard was looking at us like we were pulling a prank, but policy said they had to check it out regardless. My buddy's arm was sore, and when he pulled back his sleeve, there were noticeable bruises in the shape of a hand around his arm. We filed a report with the guard, and we're told to head back to our camp. None of us really wanted to talk about what happened, and it was a quiet drive the rest of the way. We flew home the next day. The next time we saw the guard at this shack, we asked him if they ever saw Mr. Popcycle on his patrols. He told us they searched up and down that ice road for a solid twelve-hour shift and saw nothing, not even tracks in the snow leading off the road. He told us it was a good prank and that he'd get us back for making him waste a shift driving around. But it wasn't a prank. Who would make up a story like that? And who would willingly bruise their arm for a dumb prank? We never got a satisfying answer to what happened that evening. I still wonder about that dude, if he even was a dude. The Alaskan tundra is a weird place, and that was just one of my many weird stories from my time up there. I'll work to write down more of my experiences and share them to the appropriate subs.